You're listening to the Jewel City Podcast. To help spread the gospel of Jesus, make sure to give us a five-star rating, like, and share this podcast so that it can get out to more people. In this podcast, we're jumping into a series called Keep Your Head with Randy Efaw. Amen. It has been a great day. Incredible day. Uh, I'm glad everybody's here tonight. We've got a good-looking crowd, Pastor. It's awesome. So tonight, we're going to do an inductive Bible study. I tell you, I'm not a preacher. I can't follow this morning. I'm not even going to try. Uh, but uh, I, I like talking about God. I like talking about the Bible. I like studying the things of God in the Bible. So it's going to be an inductive Bible study tonight. and Kind of um, taking off from what Kara said about the words. And what I would like for you to do is today, tonight... Uh, Pay attention to the scriptures that's going to be on the screen because we're going to really dig into those scriptures. And I'm going to do no preaching because the scriptures will preach themselves. Uh, But we're going to interrogate the scriptures tonight. We're going to look and we're going to ask a bunch of questions. We're going to ask who, what, when, where, why, and how of those scriptures and let the scriptures talk to us a little bit. So tonight's just groundwork and observation of scriptures. Um, The total message won't come together tonight. This is a two-part study, maybe a three-part study, I think two. Um, But next week is when the message will come together. That's when we'll conclude. That's when we'll understand why we started here tonight. So stick with me because no matter what we put into our souls, into our spirits, when it comes from the Word of God, it can do nothing but make you better this week. So stick with me, okay? All right. Keep your head. That's the name of, uh, that's the title God gave me. I was sitting about where Pastor Aaron's sitting at a men's meeting a couple um, months ago, and uh, Jim Radcliffe was reading, and I'm a kind of a King James Version guy, New International uh, Study Bible guy. I, I do bring my NIV with me because it's easy to read. Um, but he was reading a scripture And I knew the word in that scripture should have been sober. And I looked down at my NIV and it said, keep your head. And it just, it just interests me. So I went home and I started digging and rooting around in the word of God, wondering why it said, keep your head. And uh, so hopefully tonight we'll understand what uh, Paul, we're going to look at Paul. uh, We're going to look at Peter. Paul was the apostle uh, to the Gentiles and Peter was the apostle to the Jews. And we're going to look at very different people, very different type of ministries But we're going to look uh, at a commonality of something they were saying in the scriptures. So if you will, go to 2 Timothy 4, and we're going to look at 1 through 5. Now, this is is Paul talking to Timothy in his last letter, somewhere around AD 64. And he says this, and I'm going to go slow. I'm going to take my time in the scriptures tonight. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead, and in the view of his appearing in kingdom, I give you this charge. He says, I'm giving you this charge. This is what you should do. You preach the word. You be prepared in season and out of season. You correct, you rebuke, you encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head. Be sober. What does it say up here? 
You keep your head. You be sober in all situations. Paul says, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all the duties of your ministry. So he says, this will happen. These people, they'll heap up, they'll turn away, and while that's happening, this is what you do. You discharge all the duties of your ministry. How? Well, with great patience. First off, with great patience and careful instruction. So what, what Paul is saying to Timothy is that godlessness in the later days, in fact, there may be a subtitle in your Bible that says that, will happen. And my charge to you is, you be sober. Now, I want to skip over to an occurrence that happened in Luke 8 and Mark 5. And we're going to look at Mark 5, 1 through 15. And I'm going to take my time in this also, because this is going to lay down some groundwork for the message. Now, the translate, I don't know what you're looking at up here, but you just stay with me. They went across the lake to the region of the Gadarenes when Jesus got out of the boat. And a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. And this man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, and he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. And no one was strong enough to subdue him night and day among the tombs. And in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran, fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. And a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And he gave them the permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. And those that were tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus. They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. You know, somebody said, you don't want to be a has-been, but I tell you, I want to be a had-been. Because if I'm a had-been, that means Jesus has interacted in my life. And I'm no longer what I was. But I was looking at this scripture. It's very interesting. He was sitting there in his right mind. He was sober, sober. He was sophron, sober. Sophron is the Greek word for this word sober, okay? And I was thinking as I was looking at this scripture, if a young uh, convert or someone uh, who had not known Christ would ask me, Brother Randy, how do I approach Christ? I would almost have to give him the example of a demon. He saw him, 
He ran to meet him, fell on his knees and shouted at the top of his voice, recognizing him as the son of the most high God and begged him again and again. I mean, it's almost a pattern that I would use myself to approach the most high God in prayer. But he moved him from a place of an impure spirit to a sober mind. He moved him from one place to another place. Listen, anytime Jesus takes us from one place to a different place, it's never the wrong place. It's always the right place. And even when we don't understand while we're being moved, we may not acknowledge that move as a Jesus move, but it is the right move and we have to, by faith, trust that where we're going is where he wants us to be and it's a perfect move. In this case, it was a very obvious move. From an impure spirit, a demon-possessed man into a right mind. A place where there was no fruit and there will be fruit when this happens. You know, we had a testimony two weeks ago by Jordan talking about a place that she was at, a very unsobering place, 15 years. And she, she told us about some of the fruit over those years. Now look at the fruit. Jesus has moved her like many of us from one place of drunkenness spiritually, into another place of soberness. Now, let's go back to the word sober. Uh, Twelve times it's used as an adjective in the New Testament to describe a noun, to describe us. One time as an action verb, and I want to look at the definition uh, out of a Greek word study of the word sober, which is sophron, sophron sober. And this is what it means. It means of a sound mind, Sane to think and act with discipline. To train our thoughts so as to act discreetly and in moderation. Self-discipline in all our earthly freedoms. Catch hold of that. And self-restrained in all our earthly passions and desires. Now Paul told Timothy, I read, that they'll suit their own desires. Okay, but we are to be self-restrained in our own desires. That's what Paul is saying here. Be sober. And remember what Paul said in, in the Corinthians uh, 10? He said, you know, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Because we have to, in these days, as in those days, we have to keep our head. We have to keep sober-minded as ministers of the gospel of Christ. We have to keep our head. There's discipline involved in that. Now let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's broken down in about three parts. The assurance of the resurrection, the judgment seat of Christ, and reconciliation unto God. We're going to look at the last section, verses 12 through 20. This is Paul. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you an opportunity to boast on our behalf. 
And you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, now that might say we are not sober, we are out of our mind. My version says if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, and that is so far on sober, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. That if one died for all, then all died. And if he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. What Paul is saying here is if we are of sound mind, disciplined in thought and action, discreet, moderate, self-disciplined in our freedom, self-restrained in our passions, it's for you. That's what he's saying, it's for you, it's for me. As a minister of the gospel, we have to be sober. And the instruction here is concerning the ministry of the church. And to the ministry of the church, we have to be sober. Now let's look at something else Paul says over in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And we're going to stay on this word for a few minutes. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Now this is the qualifications uh, of an overseer or a bishop. Now let me just make a a, a remedial uh, definition for that. Uh, Those who are titled for service or care over the church. Okay? So, So this is who Paul is talking about. He says in verse 1, this is a fruitful saying that if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded. There's that word again. Of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine, not violent, nor greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how he take care of the church of God. Not a new convert. Now, I want you to remember that because we're coming back to that a little bit. Not a new convert. least being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Paul's saying those, and I'm going, to, I'm going to wear you out with this definition. Paul's saying those who are titled for care over the church must be disciplined in thought, disciplined in action, discreet, moderate, self-disciplined in our freedoms and self-restrained in our passions and desires. Now, who is that in this body of Christ? Well, what are their names? Well, it's, it's Pastor Robert uh, Pastor Rita, uh, Pastor Carrie, Pastor Aaron, um, who else? Pastor Eric, upstairs with use. Those titled for care over this ministry, Paul is saying has to be that. Now I want you to look, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Now we're going to change gears and we're going to listen to a minute of what, uh, of what Peter says. Now, this was written to the Jews converted to Christianity scattered through the Roman provinces. 
uh, part of Christ's example to be followed and, and servitude of God. Uh, we look beginning at verse 3, and let me read. Now, this is what Peter says. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Now, you know, that obviously was a problem back then. Do you recognize that problem today that those who are not the children of the light think it's strange that you don't think the way they think? And when you don't think the way they think, they use the tongue to speak evil of you. Do you see that pattern today? I see that pattern today. Obviously, it's been a pattern for a long time. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be sober and watchful in your prayers. Now, Peter said, we're near the end, so you have to be sober when you pray. Now, let's think about that for a minute. Now, we, you know, I, I struggle at times uh, collecting my thoughts and controlling my thoughts when I pray, even when I purpose to pray. And, and it, it, takes, it takes great concentration and a very quiet place uh, for me to be able to be sober when I pray, disciplined in my thoughts, not roving in what I'm thinking. And, and that's very important, or Peter wouldn't have said it here. Uh, and so he's saying concerning prayer, when you pray, we need to be sober. And, and if you remember in the definition, that's just not something we are at times. That's something we train ourselves to be. Sometimes we have to train ourselves to be that way. Let's go over to uh, Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, Paul, he, he drops off Titus on the Isle of Crete. Uh, it's, a, it's an ungodly place, uh, an incessant pounding of ungodliness. And he gives him, a, in my mind, what seems to be an impossible task uh, to establish a church, set up elders. And in verse 8, it says this, Again, elders must be hospitable, the lover of what is good, sober-minded. There's our word again. Holy, just, self-controlled, holding fast to the faithful word as he has been taught, as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So, so those titled for care over the church, those who have been taught, they may be able by sound doctrine to convict those who contradict. Well, who are those who contradict? Well, it would be those who don't think like I think. Well, I, I have seen over the past many years, several years, that you can't, people have their minds 
made up. People who believe in ungodliness as strong as I believe in godliness. And you can't argue with anyone because everyone has a place. Everyone has taken a stance and has their mind made up. But what Paul was saying to, to Titus here is you exhort and convict those who contradict by doctrine and by sound doctrine. It's not an argument. It's just doctrine. It's just sound doctrine. So let's move on down to chapter 2 of Titus and look at 2 through 6 real quick. He says, but as for you, Titus, this is, this is uh, 2 and 1. But as for you, Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine that older men would be sober. Okay? You teach sound doctrine so older men will be sober. And then in verse 3, he said, the aged women likewise, that they in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach younger women to be sober. Now, it doesn't specifically say that older women are sober, but you can't teach something you don't know. So the implication is here is that these older women are sober. So we got, we've got older men who are instructed to be sober. We have older women who are instructed to be sober and to teach younger women to be sober. And in verse six, he says, young men likewise exhort them to be sober, to be sound of mind and self-disciplined. So Paul's saying to those for care over the church by sound doctrine, you, you teach old men, young men, old women, young women to be sober, to be self-disciplined, to be restrained in their earthly freedoms and self-restrained in their passions and desires. You educate and exhort. And that's what we do to the church. That's what we do in the church. And that is our responsibility. And when I say our responsibility, I mean our responsibility. Everyone sitting in this room, because if you've paid attention to the scriptures that I've read, it covers Everyone in this ministry, not only those titled for care over the church, but everyone, even if we don't have a role or a title. So what we are to become and what we are becoming, according to these scriptures, is sober, spiritually sound of mind. Because if you remember what we were, We've spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and idolatries. We, we've spent enough time there, but the, but the son of the most high God, he's restored us to a different place. He's moved us. He's moved us from a place we shouldn't be to a place where we should be, and that's where we need to be, and we need to discipline ourselves to stay there and to grow there, and it's not always easy. It's not always expedient to get there, and we have to trust by faith that we're being moved there, and sometimes it's a little bit painful, and listen, your demons will negotiate 
negotiate with you. I'm telling you, because they negotiated with the Son of the Most High God, they'll negotiate with you. They'll try to stay right where they're at and keep you right where you're at and try to keep God from moving you where he wants you to be. Now let's let loose of that for a minute. And let's move over. Say 37 minutes. 37 minutes is all this message is going to take. And I'm almost done with it. So, because I'm not going to wear you out with scriptures. We got plenty of nights. But what I want to do is I want to lay down some groundwork for next week. Now you have to remember what we talked about. We're going to look at another word, sober. This is not... um, Sophron sober. This word out of the Greek uh, word study is nepso. It's N-E-P-H-O, but it's it's pronounced nepso. And this is what this sober means. And it's used several times in the New Testament. It's watchful, circumspect, which is cautious, unwilling to take some risks. But the Greek word study says this, after that definition, it says this, this word, nepso, nepso sober, does not mean to abstain from the use of strong drink, alcohol. We'll just say because everybody knows what that is. But to refrain from the abuse of it, which leads to intoxication. Let me stress something. This message, although uh, there are characteristics, uh, attributes of the ungodly, the point uh, to to wine and alcohol and strong drink, uh, we're going to see it. We've already seen it. It's already been mentioned. This message is not about strong drink. It's not about alcohol. But we have to look at this because I find it interesting that Paul and Peter, uh, next week you'll find out they're going to be using this word on some people. And, and we have to consider this explanation of the definition of this word in a metaphorical way. We have to look at this word. And, and so, so as we do, this is the part I want you to remember. I don't want you to remember this word does not mean to abstain from the use of strong drink. I don't want you to remember that. It's okay. This is just a definition. I want you to remember this. Just the last half. But to refrain from the abuse of blank which leads to intoxication. Now, I do have to ask a question, and it's okay to raise your hand because sometimes this teaches, and, and, and it's not shameful. And I, I just want to know physically, in the physical nature, before, before God, whatever, has, has anybody in this house ever actually been intoxicated by alcohol or drugs or wine or something? Lots of hands. I mean, it's to be expected before God. It changes our thoughts, which changes our behaviors. Do you agree with that? Those of you who raise your hand of being intoxicated, do you agree that when we're intoxicated, our behaviors and our thoughts change? Yes, they do. I've got a great big book at home. It's, it's the American Dictionary of the English Language. It was uh, printed in 1828. It's by Noah Webster. 
And, and the definition of the word intoxicate, it's, it's a very exhaustive def, definition. That's why I don't use, like to use the modern dictionaries because this is a more exhaustive uh, type of definition. It says intoxicate is, is to excite the spirit to a kind of delirium, frenzy, or madness. To the state in which the ideas of a person are wild, irregular, disconnected, unconnected, do not correspond with reality or truth. It's a disorder of the intellect. Jesus would never put us in a place like that. Never. He would never do that. Why do we look at one word so hard? So, you know, sometimes, so I'm not I'm not a big reader of the uh, of the Bible uh, as far as reading uh, chapters one through ten and putting the book down. I can't do that very well. Sometimes I do to quiet my spirit, but most of the time, I'll take a, a scripture that I can cover with two fingers, and I'll stay there for a month. I'll stay there and just turn it over in my mind, meditate. Chew on it, pray about it, fast over it. And that's okay. That's okay. That's when God unlocks bits and pieces that we've never seen before. It's new manna. It's so good. We look at words and, and topical studies so hard because sometimes God is trying to tell us something and, and we really need to dig. I used an example one time that if I gave... Five people on the front row, precious coin, and I said, go hide this in the trunk and keep it till I ask for it again. Well, pastor might put it in the trunk of his car. Leanne might put it in the tr tree trunk. You might put it in an elephant's trunk. You, s you see my point? Different interpretations of what a trunk is, and that's because I haven't explained myself. I haven't conveyed exactly what I wanted. So staying in the scriptures right in one area or on a word or a set of words or a topic Things get explained to you when we interrogate the scriptures. And, and the reason I'm going into this is because we're all at different levels in this room. There, there are folks that, that don't study that are very new. Some folks uh, have been around for a long time and have, have a wealth of biblical knowledge uh, and, and things of that nature. But we have to target uh, the entire audience of the body of Christ in this room. So so. Where I'm going with this is for, for the younger folks or, or the folks that haven't been uh, in God's word that long. We need to interrogate the scriptures to get a more complete and thorough understanding. Um, there are a couple different types of knowledge in the New Testament, and, and I don't call them by their Greek name. I call them by their Strong's number, uh, 1922 and 1108 knowledge. Where's Ethan? My buddy back there. Sometimes we'll be in conversation and he'll go, that's 1922 knowledge. Yeah. Sometimes he used 1108 the other day. Well, I did. I used 1108 the other day in a conversation. 1108 knowledge is gnosis. It's fragmentary knowledge. It's just bits and pieces. It's not been connected yet. It doesn't make quite sense yet in the spiritual sense to us. 1922 knowledge 1922 knowledge, let me read it out of the dictionary. 
It's more intense than 1108 knowledge because it expresses a more thorough participation in the acquiring of the knowledge on the part of the learner. In the New Testament, it often refers to knowledge which is very powerfully influenced, which very powerfully influences the form of religious life. A knowledge that lays claim to personal involvement. Now don't get me wrong, 1108 knowledge is extremely powerful. Pastor led Ethan's dad to the Lord a couple weeks ago. A couple days later, he passed. And like the thief on the cross, that was out of Ethan's mouth. You know, as, as the thief looked across the broken body of Jesus, he hung there in a window of six hours. And he, and he looked at his counterpart and said, this man's done no wrong. And then he looked at Jesus and he said, remember me in your kingdom. And that type of knowledge, that fragmentary knowledge was powerful enough to send him that day, in the words of Jesus, to heaven. But it can be also very dangerous because it sent the seven sons of Sceva, naked, beating, uh, beaten, and bloody, because they tried to cast out a demon in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And the demon said, well, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? So fragmentary knowledge could be very dangerous because if you look, I said, remember, puffed up? What Paul say? He said, hey, look, for care over the church, don't use a new convert, possibly because of fragmentary knowledge. I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. That's powerful. We need 1922 knowledge. Next week, we're going to, we're going to do some groundwork, uh, a little bit like we did tonight, not much, and we'll conclude. I really didn't think I'd get that far tonight. But um, I encourage you to meditate on, on what I've talked about tonight. Uh, if you've taken notes, you can go back and you can look at those words sober that uh, Paul and Peter used and, and, and just turn that over in your mind this week and pray about it. You know, where we're going with this is we live in a day uh, that mimics or that looks very similar to what these Christians were going through back here. And they received some very, very... Uh, good instruction on how to survive in that world and how to be able to minister effectively. And um, what I've seen here um, over the past at least year, it appears like some of our believers uh, have maybe lost sight of how to minister effectively. And I don't mean in this house, I don't mean I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about things that uh, I've heard on this maybe some arguing and things. Um, but I believe that the instructions that Peter and Paul has given us here will help us be incredible ministers of the gospel. Let's bow our heads. Father, I love you tonight, God, and I, it's a privilege, God, to stand here, God, and to read the word of God, and God, just to listen to you and convey what you've said to me, Father. I pray in Jesus' name, God, that 
it would embed itself, God, in the hearts of the folks in this room, God. I pray in Jesus' name that it could be used, God, effectively, God. I pray, God, to exhort and to lift up, to teach, to instruct. I thank you, Jesus, God. You're so holy. You're good. You're good to me. I pray in Jesus' name, God, that the blood of Christ, God, would, be, uh, would cover this church, Father. I pray in Jesus' name, God, God, that you, your spirit would weave your way in and out of the aisles and, God, the hearts of the people in this church, Father, that, God, we would try to do nothing on our own. And, God, we would do everything through prayer, petitioning you, God. God, I pray, God, for the children in this church that their minds be protected, God, that they be instructed. And, God, that those who heap up teachers would never come close to our children. I pray in Jesus' name, God, that we would be sober in prayer, sober in thought, speech, and action. I pray in Jesus' name, God, we would recognize you, and we would recognize you in our life, and God, we would follow you, and God, we would not resist a move. God, we give you honor and praise tonight, Lord, for your good. You save us. You instruct us. You heal us. You love us. I praise you for that. I'm thankful for that. Every head still bowed. If there's one tonight that has never met this Jesus that I'm talking about, that's never said, Lord, I I confess that you're my Savior. I want to turn from the worldly ways that I heard tonight, and I want to serve you. If you've never done that and you wish to do that, Raise your hand and let me lead you to a Savior that will never leave or forsake you. This message is to be preached, I believe, on, on live stream. It'll be posted Wednesday. So I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you that if you've never said that prayer, if you don't know that Jesus I've preached about, you say that prayer. You tell him. You tell him you love him and you repent and you want to serve him. And you're assured the kingdom of heaven that day. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Jewel City Podcast.